This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 494, recorded on June 17th, 2021. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in a hot and sweltering Bellevue, Nebraska, 104 today, which we only really see that about three times a year. I've got Christian Johnson uh, with me. Christian, East Coast, Maryland, your area, hot, no? What, where are you guys at? Uh, surprisingly not bad so far for three days to the start of summer i mean we've had an unusual kind of like mid 70s low 80s but not the usual like oppressive swamp like nature that is characteristic for maryland in june (laughs) it is a swamp (laughs) yeah i mean it's not to say it won't be here soon but it's been a little bit cooler than usual Mm -hmm. and um there's been a lot more rain than usual this time of year so there's been plant life has just been like unbelievable there's just green luscious everywhere uh, in our area which is kind of rare for this time of year so yeah last time I saw you. I was. I made a trip out to Boston. We came down to D.C. You had just moved into a new place. Yeah. You were a new landowner. You were yeah. mowing the lawn. You were moving things around in the yard. How, how's the yard? <laughs> this is the important question. How's the yard? Yeah, the the yard is doing just fine. I finally caved after the year of COVID and and, and hired a lawn service. So uh, I'm taking that go. off my back. Didn't uh, your neighbors say or somebody? Oh tell yeah, you? my neighbors okay. thought I was batshit crazy. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Um, I don't think they had seen someone push mow an acre mm. in like uh, 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. but it was great exercise during COVID. I I just it was something to do around the house to you know walk out and work and didn't bother me at all. I, I enjoyed it. So, um, but. Yeah, um, you had some you had some deck work to maybe do. Did you get was that was that yeah. the number correctly? So we well we redid our like rear deck where you mm. actually power wash strip all the coating and then wa- like actually clean it and prep it and then put new stain on and so we did all that. Uh, probably got another few years out of that deck for doing it. Oh, good. Um, good. The front porch, which actually uses a, um, it's like an indoor wood. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. Um, and it's treated with spar varnish every year um, by the previous owner who who built and you know designed the house. And um, I expect that is going to need an actual sanding down probably in the fall, like a full sand down and a re-varnish just to kind of get it back restored to an original look. Um, But yeah, it's, there's just a endless rabbit hole of projects one can do when you're a homeowner. Never ends. Right. I remember when I was there spools of coax cable, but I I can't remember what they were for. What Um, what was that all about? Yeah. I, well, one of my, many pet projects is to get a, uh, uh, 1500 watt transmitter up for ham radio. So I have the, I have really, really nice quality, uh, coaxial cables set up to do that. I just haven't really, uh, plotted my revenge of where it's going to go and how I want to set up the control station. So cables still sitting in the same spot as still there. Well, same, same general location, you know, I'm, I'm starting to work on batteries and rack stuff for the yeah. digital side of life. Yeah, so we're going to talk about that here in a second. Yeah. So, so don't give that away. Um, lots of wood 
in your house. Like that's the yeah. one thing when I was there, just lots of wood still working for you. I mean, or you going to, you going to change, you got plans to change anything in there. You got some renovations or is it working for, for what you got for now? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. So you were out in October, October 15th, something like that, somewhere around there. Yeah. You guys so. had just moved in, right? A couple of weeks, maybe, or a month or two. Yeah. Like well, so I had, I had moved back in like March of 20. Oh, okay. We were married in July of yeah. 20. So yeah, you were there That's kind of a few months after um, right. all sorts of things have happened. Um, a lot of the paint has changed, obviously. Nice. Um, I know you guys were painting. Yep. On yep. the inside. Yeah. We're, we're up to, f- you know, fully furnished on the bedrooms now and got all the furniture kind of sorted. We've mm. done, um, you know, down in the basement in the work area, uh, I've redone the whole ceiling. So we've completely nice. kind of redone a fair number of things that were bugging us. Um, the wood was actually though one of the things that really attracted us to the home. So mm. the fact that it was this kind of like authentic, um, plank. Thick, thick plank yeah. wood kind of laid sideways and they did custom, um, uh, wood trim on all the windows. It just was a very unique, uh, look. And so, you know, we might, try some different area rugs and splashes of color here and there to offset that in certain places. But by and large, the getting the rooms furnished and the wall colorings the way you want it um, to really, the or, the wood has a kind of an orange uh, hue to it. So that's kind of what you're contrasting with. So uh, we, we used blues to, to kind of work the blue orange primary thing and, and have some offset colors. So. No, it's, it's been fun. I think that it wouldn't appeal to everyone, I think, as a prospective homeowner to like have like would be so much of it. But if you put kind of a modern spin on top, I think it's a fairly unique look. So. Yeah, it was great. It was great to be there. I, I mean, I haven't we we talked you. You came on the uh, 10th anniversary show back in December. We saw you. We talked. We've talked since then. But um, it was a great trip. I got a chance to smoke a cigar with you on your patio, yeah. uh, <laughs> a big cigar. I mean, we were out there for a couple oh, hours. Yeah. That was, uh, um, that was pretty great. And, uh, and congrats just on all that. How's the, um, you know, you were thinking about maybe even installing some cameras and home security stuff on it. Have you, have you made any updates as far as that goes from a yeah, camera I have, standpoint? I have one hiding down here the bottom of my standing desk of course which probably just ruined the audio for 30 <laughs> no, seconds fine, but, um i got um th- this is kind of my latest if you're going to spend 20 dollars of something useful go pick up one of these please um the the v3 of the wise cam is really just uh fairly impressive um from you know i i had bought a fleet of these things for the wise cam v2 and the V3 really just ups it a notch. I mean, the the HD quality of the picture, full 1080p, is incredibly crisp. It's weather resistant. You can pop in a micro SD for like 10 bucks to have local um, recording storage on it. It has a lot of the AI and motion detecting features that are normally part of a multi-hundred dollar kit. Um, person detection, light app, the infrared is incredibly improved on the V3 from the V2. Um, so this is the wise stuff is kind of my go-to for just setting these things up. And, you know, they've done a lot to weatherize this on the V2 version. I kind of made my own custom weather enclosures to mount them and put them in place. Um, the other one I've been, uh, playing with a, a little bit less, lesser degree than wise, but also an interesting product is the blink from Amazon. Um, the thing I really like that is the base station with the, 
blink units i mean that uh lithium battery that they put in there you can get up to two years of it where it only turns on when there's motion sensed and if you put it in like a key place like where your packages get dropped or otherwise like it's a great asset for when you don't have the ability to get the wiring quite there um so especially if you have a large outside and you want to capture particular areas where you're just not going to have power coming out of the ground um that's a great solution to take a look at how does wise do it? Like, what? Wh- yeah, how do? Because everybody, I get that question all the time, and and um, I guess a little surprised you're you you've you've gone to that. They work for you. I, I've been thinking about changing some things the way we do video around here, mm-hmm. um, and they're just dirt cheap. How do they do it? Wise is a really cool company. Um, and actually some of their co-founders were, um, ex Amazon employees. So, you know, I shamefully feel some type of relationship (laughs) with them, uh, collegially of course. And, um, they really took a very startup approach of very similar to raspberry Pi, right. Where we're going to build kind of this very consumer focused end customer product where, um, the hardware they're building kind of the least common denominator. And then over time, it was kind of the service offerings, right? So um, one of the things that they've done in the last year is they've taken features, a lot of their features that are normally free that were grandfathered in, they gave customers a choice. They're like, we're going to continue to make this better and better. We're going to be running these feeds in the cloud. But like you decide as a grandfathered customer, how much do you want to pay for a month? It can be free. It can be a buck a month. It can be, you know, whatever you want. And so um, I think they've done really well for themselves by a diversifying their product line. So it's not just cameras, it's the bulbs. So if you're really into kind of end to end home automation, I'm a religious user of wise bulbs um, to coordinate schedules and do other things and, you know, have a bulb turn on when it's evening and that's positioned with a camera. So you get better lighting. So they have a nice ecosystem of products that I just feel are really no hassle to set up. The app is very easy. Um, And so ultimately um, I think they just really focused on what their customer base was and because they've made it a cloud-based solution they can they can run a lot of advanced features in the cloud for their customers such that as long as you have a decent internet connection and you're buying these cheap hardware devices you're going to kind of get into whatever their subscription model is for the premium services and otherwise but they make it such that the you know the user who just pays 20 bucks for the actual hardware and then is a free user on the platform like it's it's a great experience uh, for those users as well so Ken brings in a good question. He says, um, any, any, obviously you're in this space, any security concerns with them? Love their product as well, but I always had this question if I'm part of the product do being such a low price. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I am to this day really of the opinion that if you're going to do anything IOT of which I consider wise, very much an IOT device, um, you got to think about like, what are you paying and what are you willing to risk data wise, right? Um, a lot of folks got up in arms, I think about wise and how their data was being exported and, you know, some key things actually in that. I, I don't know if it was a data leak or what exactly the details were. It happened a couple of years ago now, but it showed pretty clearly that the data that they were sharing and mining and analyzing was 
you know, fully anonymized data feeds. They're using this to, of course, train their learning algorithms for AI detection of people and faces and so forth. So um, there's a couple common sense things, right? Like I, I really don't trust any of these providers in terms of like, if you're expecting some company to totally toe the line and protecting your privacy, like get over that. It's, it's not really a thing. Um, I think Apple probably has the closest sense of the right idea, but you obviously are paying a premium to have that built-in privacy with the company because you're paying a lot of money for their hardware. Um, with companies like this, I isolate all these devices onto their own VLAN, their own Wi-Fi network. Like they're not going to be in the rest of my network. Um, I don't point the cameras anywhere where I would be worried about someone seeing it, right? So it's not like it's sitting in the master bedroom with the audio on, right? It's like at some point, if you just apply common sense, even if the device gets completely hacked, if you've isolated it, you're not going to have to worry about it getting into your computer or your files or your bank account or anything like that. Um, and if you're kind of smart about what are the video angles and otherwise, I don't really care if someone sees me mowing my lawn outside. I just don't. I mean, unless you're getting into kind of like some serious, you know, operational intelligence where I'm going to look for, you know, whether or not Ken is leaving his house every day so that I can coordinate a, a raid into his home. I just, it gets a little bit conspiracy theory for me. So I just focus and try and advise customers that you can never have 100% guarantee about where your data is going and what form and what the privacy considerations are. And the terms of service are always going to change faster than than you can read in a day. Mm -hmm. So you may as well just focus on how are you going to deploy them such in such a manner that it it meets a comfort level that you have. And yeah. I think it's a, it's important in a home environment, right? Because that's that's pretty sensitive to a lot of folks. So I get I get the question for sure. So bust out says, and he's listening over on uh, Twitch. He says, wait, <laughs> you're watching Ken's house too. <laughs> no, I'm not that creepy, but you know, it's, uh, uh John, it's, John told me the other day, Hey, can you talk a little louder next to Alexa? I'm having trouble hearing you. So, um, it, it's all good. You know, from that standpoint, when you think of Christian, would you, your driveway, like that's the, that's the one, you know, I, I mean, bedrooms are obvious, right? That that's an obvious like thing, but do you, do you, you know, do you get that shot in front of your garage door that that is a situation where you're home or you're not home? If and now somebody could drive by too, <laughs> it's not like, right? Yeah. I mean, but I but any any thoughts? That's to me, that's the one questionable spot. Like, I too, my front lawn, my front door. I don't I don't think about those. I do have a camera on my driveway, so you can see whether I'm there or not. But I don't know any thoughts on that. Just that one spot. Um, couple things, right? So like if you have a two or three car garage door, like just because you see one car come and go doesn't mean necessarily the other two yeah. cars have come and gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that, uh, this is a two way street, right? So like, let's just say some observer that is watching your driveway feed who shouldn't be is watching you come and go. Um, you know, you're also getting alerts and notices of people coming and going. So, True. um, you know, I, I, home security to me is not a matter of just, I can see the problem. It's a matter of, I have the ability to react to a problem. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, like this is the basis of how premium alarm systems work, right? Mm -hmm. Like if a motion sensors tripped or a video camera, sees something it shouldn't, it auto dispatches nine one one. Like that's not what you're getting with something like wise. Right. But, um, it's easy to, to, to deploy, 
kind of multiple um, ad hoc solutions such that you can get that effect without the price tag. And so um, I think it's a, a consideration um, for me personally, it doesn't really move the needle um, because again, if you're following those best practices and isolating and securing your devices correctly, um, even if someone is um, let's say, you know, using your data in a way that you wouldn't agree with had you actually read the terms of service is is the person sitting there mining the data the person who's going to be invading your house probably not mm-hmm. um so from that perspective it's like the data has to fall into the wrong hands and you um in many respects can avoid that um to a certain extent sure we uh my my garage cam shows my driveway my neighbor's driveway and the two driveways across the street yeah. and i've told all my neighbors like hey i just want to let you know i got the cam up i don't the I don't have alerts set for those areas. Um, sometimes the neighbor next door triggers them, but I let them all know. You, and they're like, "Oh, good! Like it's very visible. I, I have it up high up on right in front of the driveway. Mm-hmm. It's the the deterrent's actually the device, probably not the video that's that's running on it. I mean, it, it could be broken, but nobody, you know. Well, I guess if I said it, it does work. <laughs> By the way, um. But yeah, that was one of those things I went to my neighbors and I just said, Hey, I just, I just want to let you know I'm doing this. And they all said, no, that's cool. That's fine. So just maybe one of those considerations too, as you're thinking about slapping these cameras uh, on the outside, I am considering putting one out on the back shed. We have a shed in the backyard and that would give me a good forward facing shot of anybody coming through or on the driveway coming through the property. Haven't, haven't pulled the trigger. Maybe this, maybe a wise cam is my, is my way to try it out. Pick up one of the outdoor cams. Is that what you recommend? Pick up an outdoor cam and. and yeah. The outdoor uh, cam with the base station for wise has really worked just as well as the blink. I mean, either platform for the wireless uh, base camera. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have to give that, maybe, maybe give that a try after the show at the end of home gadget geeks every week. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, Christian, eight years, maybe I say that, you know, the average guy TV platform is powered by Maple Grove partners. How's Maple Grove partners. I mean, you're the, you and your dad are the genius behind this. Uh, give us a little bit of update. How are things going? Plans still as little as ten dollars. Is that still a? Are we plans still pl- plans still as little as ten dollars? <laughs> um, the stick really hasn't changed. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's doing well. Um, you know, I, one of the things I love about Maple Grove is very similar to this podcast community, right? It's really a community platform. Um, I'm not looking to grow it into this hyperscale millions of customers type thing. I'm really just looking to meet that need for those customers who have a variety of different use cases, right? Irrespective of small, medium, large business, right? But I'm really interested in those one-on-one interactions and getting it right for customers who have those, those needs. Um, and, you know, we posted a lot of um, content communities from blogs, um, podcasts, um, technical forums, um, you know, gamer, gamer, all sorts of like gamer databases where they're querying for uh, what trade routes they're going to take. I mean, it's been a pretty um, cool ecosystem of customers that have used the platform. Uh, and so that keeps me motivated to keep doing it. Um, we have since probably the last time I've talked about it on this show, um, invested heavily in um, giving customers enterprise 
like features in that same $10 a month plan that they wouldn't see in a shared hosting provider. And we're, we're fairly close to rolling out a lot of those things. Um, one is that we've been working on full failover automation. So like if a site, if a customer is on a particular um, server node and that server has a problem or the web app has a problem, um, our system automatically detects that outage and shifts their traffic uh, to being served out of another data center. That's something you don't usually get in a shared hosting plan, right? Um, we also are working on um, like an alert interface for um, mobile phone users and control panel users to be able to put their websites or other types of alerts that they want to get, and they can get push notifications to their devices or paging alerts. Um, they can use it for everything from customizing notifications about the platform to, you know, I want to see what the stock price for, um, you know, whatever your favorite ticker is for the day, that, that, that kind of thing. So we're doing a lot of um, kind of ad hoc development as, as time permits. And, um, we're continuing to run the platform in a way that allows folks to run secure, reliable, high-speed sites, which is what we what we aim what we, to do. What we promise, right? Secure, yep. reliable, high-speed hosting for people that from people that you know and you trust. Of course, we say that every week. Um, we, I think, last December we were talking about the 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 backup site. The mm-hmm. uh, you know the second. How's that working out? What what you what have you learned? in that process, anything you tweaked in there as well? Yeah. Um, uh, really some interesting lessons about, um, you know, when you're setting up kind of, uh, a primary and a secondary site, which gives you this high availability for failing over traffic, there's kind of two modes of operation. Um, most of the availability patterns that you see in this type of, we'll just say web art, highly available web architecture, um, particularly for commodity websites that run on a LAMP stack where it's PHP, Linux, and and a MySQL database, the replication and high availability solutions that are usually available, um, there's kind of two ways to do it. Um, The first was one I spent a long time trying to get to work in a way that I thought would be ideal, which was um, any data center site can take read or write requests for any given customer's database transaction. So like if a customer WordPress request comes in, it could hit either side, a write request could be processed and it would synchronize that change to all the other nodes where that customer was being replicated. And sounds great on paper, but the key there is rule of three. And it's like, well, what do you mean rule of three? Well, most of the algorithms that are designed for doing this type of, um, cross node replication requires a minimum of three nodes because of a problem called split brain, which is with, if you only have two nodes and one goes offline, the other can't really query to understand like, what was the state of the last transaction? Am I, am I the, the node ahead or am I the node behind? Um, and so what happens in split brain is that if one node has a problem in a two node solution, the other node is like, I'm going into read only because I I don't want to get my database in an inconsistent state from what my peer replica is. So um, I've really tried to design the architecture such that um, we can operate customer availability in two zones per customer instead of three zones per customer. So eventually I kind of gave up on this concept of 
architecting it such that customers would have a three node or some type of parity checker or otherwise. Um, instead, I've moved much more towards a, a slightly older design pattern, but equally effective, which is to have one be the primary node and one serve as a, um, a hot spare standby. The difference, though, is that the failover is immediate, right? So you're not waiting when a primary fails for that other one to come in line because it's getting real-time replication. It's watching the deltas on the primary and immediately pushing it. Um, and if a health notification is, you know, a health event happens, which could be a multitude of things, right? It could be replication stops. It could be your upstream ISP that's sending traffic in or out has an outage. It could be that local web server has a problem. It could be your database locks up, like whatever it is, the health monitoring and tooling can automatically monitor the failed component and then say, okay, this, this is no longer primary. It shifts primary out of being primary and takes that hot spare and puts it in active and the customer's no worse for wear, right? The DNS flip happens within a minute. Folks um, get routed to that other site. And then when the other one comes back online, it's now the hot spare for future events and it gets caught up by the thing that's primary. So I found, you know, after a lot of experimentation that that was a much uh, more viable replication model for the the world of you have customers who want to spend $10 a month to have a fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so that's really a, where a lot of the lessons were first is around like, what is the right replication pattern for these types of customers? How do you automatically manage and maintain that? So they don't have to know a lick about it or what it means. Right. To them, it's like, I want an FTP server. I want my WordPress login. I want my email. I don't care about any 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 of the other pieces of it, right? And one of the big tenets about Maple Grove, and actually a really interesting, uh, we'll call it a business decision, is that I hate control panels. Um, mm -hmm. Some of we have lost customers because they get frustrated over time that we don't offer control panels, and it's like that means you've outgrown our model. That's awesome. Like we'll help you get to wherever you need to go. There's no hard feelings really one way or another. Uh, we wish you the best. And um, I'm, I'm fairly firm about that because I, I truly believe that most customers who are just trying to do cool content communities, they don't really care about tweaking every knob and dial. Yeah. And you put up the C panel in front of them with 50 icons and they're really only ever going to two or three core icons, right? So eventually we might come to a place where we have a, a, a light panel, if you want to call it that, where it's just a, you know, a few dials and turns that they can have to see status and get some more clear fidelity around their stuff. But that's really not the experience we designed for, right? Yeah, um, well, you designed so. it for me and I don't want to really want to, I don't really <laughs> want to know anything. I don't, yeah. I'm like, is it working? Great. Right. That's all I'm really worried about. I, you know, what, what happens to me is I read something online about, Oh, Hey, if you do tweak this and then if I have access to it, the control panel, I'm like, well, let's give it a try. And then pretty soon you're calling me saying, Hey, stop screwing with your instance. Okay. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm having to, I'm, I'm having to pull it from a backup. So, you know, because I'm such the use case for what you're doing and it's perfect for me. I just, I really I can't remember. In fact, I, I just don't even think about it. It just works for me. You know, we had that issue last year, two years ago, whatever it was where the WordPress instance had some things and oh, yeah. we had set some things and log files would fill up and we didn't know why. And you finally tracked that down since then, nothing. I think you had a little, I think you had a little downtime on Monday for something. Yep. I saw some sites, 
some sites go down and then come right back up. That's really the first time. I can't remember the last time I had a downtime once you fix that problem um, yeah. of the log files. So any any um, uh, any after action on Monday's on Monday's downtime? Monday was a, a very frustrating power issue in which uh, not not the the right reserve power was not in place for the failover to occur, um, which was unfortunate. So yeah. um, we've we've since started <laughs> placing some some orders to to rectify that long term. Yeah, um, no, you learn but, you learn through it, Dave. Dave Jackson, who's a big customer of yours, uh, pings me on Skype. Hey, things are down, and I'm like, just it'll be fine. It's good. It'll come back up. Like it's not just, just wait for, Oh, he's like, Oh, it's fixed. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I don't, I don't ever like, I just don't worry about it. I'm like, Oh, well, okay. Maybe it needed a break. <laughs> like, well, it needed okay. a rest. It needed a rest. We were on a break. Um, but I'm that kind of customer who's like, Christian, I'm not getting enough traffic to my website that if it's down for whatever, even on maintenance and I, Listen, I haven't had a maintenance thing from you in forever. Whatever you're doing from that perspective, it's seamless at this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that's that's kind of the big thing is we're we're really trying to get it to the point where, you know, in the old days, right? If you're on shared hosting, it's like your your shared node is going to be down for maintenance from midnight to 4 a.m. until yeah. all of these random updates you don't know have happened. And it's like that's really not the era of modern web right so we have it to a point where with that automation in place we can do full maintenance that requires taking servers down where customers are otherwise active um, without taking their site down overall which is not something that was popular in the era of shared hosting certainly when we started doing it um and and i don't really think of us as shared hosting so much i mean in comparison to the resources and mechanism by which a shared hosting provider would set you up versus what we're doing. It's entirely different, um, mm -hmm. architected, very different. Yeah. Um, so I, from that perspective, um, yeah, like that's, that's long-term where, where I want it to be. Where in, you know, I, I, I will set a goal that in 2022, there's, you know, zero seconds of downtime in the year, right? That that shows uh, at least a maturity and experimentation with what sets of technologies worked best for our customers at the price points that we operate at. And so um, that that's kind of where we have fun. Yeah, no, it's good. Works, works great for me. It's just good to catch up. Uh, you know, the listeners here hear me say this all the time and you're kind of the guy behind it. And, and it's good to, I, you know, you continue to... Make it better each each time, you know, and and I just I, I just really um, appreciate that. So, well, I, I wish we had a historical graph of when we started the average guide to today and and measured the average page load time from mm -hmm. when we first launched the site to today. Um, but that is actually one of the metrics by which I measure our success of kind of continuous improvement for the customer experience, right? If I yeah. go to the homepage of the average guy, um, on average today, it's coming up. If, if I'm cached, it's coming up in under hundred milliseconds. If I'm uncached and it's a hard, fresh load, I've seen it as low as 400 milliseconds, right? So obviously it's a little bit biased because I'm co-located very close to where the stuff comes out of, but I can get on my mobile phone and take an eight hour road trip and over LTE get a very similar experience. So um, it would be fun if a way back wind machine was actually tracking uh, average yeah. load latencies it, over time. It would be. I've, although I've tried to go back on the way back machine and 
we wiped it out a long time. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's you're dealing that. with the security nut back then. Yeah, so. no, right on. It's all it's all good. I, it's okay. Ken Ash Maple Grove has a Western USGO location now. Is that a is that on the radar to think? Because you're primarily East Coast at this point. Yeah, we're primarily East Coast. So I mean, we we cover the Eastern Seaboard pretty well. Um, but uh, really, it's um, this is not where it's like a CDN where you're getting local edge latency to each of your things. Um, so if you're in the U.S., you're going to get fairly fast load times, right? The latency would only start to become a concern for like if someone in China is trying to, you know stream video consistently from you and you're hosting it locally on our content um we would advise you to just put that on a cdn and and serve it statically right so yeah um, we're not really in the like we're going to give you this amazing low latency thing geographically throughout the world because one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that we own operate and manage all the hardware and that your data isn't sitting on some provider that you quote don't know and therefore maybe don't trust um so from that perspective um you know we we recommend to customers when they have those types of requirements how they can integrate with our platform or otherwise move on from it but we're not really kind of vying to have uh physical hardware in all these different geographical locations yet yeah no it's good i think it's a good point and if you're i i just will say if you need hosting for anything christian can do just about anything for you uh check out maplegrovepartners.com i usually say that at the end of the show but i wanted to kind of catch up with you see how things were going you're, you're making when i was there you know when i was there on the uh the johnson compound I saw, you know, you, you were you were thinking through some things and setting some stuff up and wiring and cabling and power. And I was like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. So uh good stuff. It's always good to know that you're you're behind for me, that you're behind it and that you're, you know, you're doing it uh day in and day out. So I appreciate that. Um I went through Christian, I went through a process, oh, I don't know, for the last couple of months of buying a car. And I spent a bunch of time looking, of course, at Tesla. Because you have to, right? And spend a bunch of time. I did end up not going with a Tesla. I bought a Subaru Legacy for half the price. 2021, I love this car. Like, I really do like it. It'll be the last gasoline engine, you know, uh, I own. But your thoughts, uh, you know, you're probably coming up at some point on thinking about the next gen vehicle for you. Any any thoughts on uh, on electric automobiles and and where uh, they are today? Wow, you're going to get me on the record on cars. Uh, <laughs> write write that down on your calendar. Try trying try, try to, anyways. Um, so I'm I'm currently in the process of trying to burn the wheels off of a uh, 2016 uh, Sentra for every last penny it's going to give me. Um, it's an incredibly cheap car to drive yeah. it gets me 42 43 miles per gallon on the beltway which is just fine by me um and it's in great shape um i you know proactively do the oil changes and all the, all the other necessities and i very much use it as a commuter car and one of the things that's nice about that vehicle and its form factor is that it makes dodging in and out of parking garages and tight spaces really easy which is a common problem when you're doing dc area driving um so in the short medium term my my plan is to continue to you know burn that thing into the ground um outside of that um kind of looking forward at what i would buy if that if that were to kind of fail on me tomorrow um i'm into the uh hybrid 
sport luxury cars is kind of where, where my sweet spot of interest is. So, um, I guess folks will be disappointed to say that Tesla isn't my first thing uh, on my list. Um, I do have plenty of friends, uh, of both the podcast show and, uh, of, you know, college and otherwise who are sporting their Teslas and that they're very cool. Don't get me wrong. Like there's, there's a lot to like about, um, that platform. Um, but I'm, I'm a bit more old school. So, um, uh, watching very closely to the G70, uh, that Genesis makes really, really beautiful car. Um, it has a lot to offer as kind of both that sport muscle feel with also, also that luxury interior, um, and, and that hybrid feel. Also, uh, the Acura TLX, uh, 21 is a pretty impressive vehicle. Um, if I had to choose between the two, I'm probably more in the Genesis family right now than I would be in the Acura family. But that is the smell of cars, so to speak, of where I'd be forward looking at um, after I burn the Sentra into the ground. Yeah. Now, I remember when you got that Sentra. I think I was on campus pretty quickly after you got it new. I think. Yeah. And mm. I actually, before that I drove the Ultima, which was the yeah. size up fairly bigger and it handled yeah. way better in snow, but the Sentra has been great uh, as that kind of commuter car. So yeah, no, well, listen, I, I drove an 06 Honda civic hybrid for, for 15 years. Uh, it, it got me one trip out to see you uh, last fall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it struggled when I got it made back. It. It, made it. it made it. It did make it, but it, it did come back with an oil leak. So that was, I, I, I blew something in there in, you know, going uh, the speed limit or close to it for mm-hmm. most, for most of the trip. It was a, it was a super fun trip. So I understand. I also am a guy who buys cars and drives them into the ground. However, with this legacy uh, that I just bought, there is some thought uh, if uh, it's a five or six year hold, like, I think, I think we're going to be making some changes infrastructure wise. I think the charging infrastructure is going to get better. I think, and it's pretty good now, uh, Jim uh, Shoemaker in the chat saying he really don't want to do it. Do, what well, doesn't want to do it? Cause the infrastructure is not where he goes. And that's a valid point, right? I mean, I think, I think we're still on our way to it, but I think we are racing our way to some pretty, normal infrastructure for charging. You know, you can kind of, you, you really pull in a gas station, play, uh, I'm sorry, pulling in a charging station, man, that's hard to get out of your vocabulary, wow. isn't it? Right. Uh, pull in a charging station, put the charger on, go in, use the facilities, grab a bite to eat, have a quick conversation. You're charged, yeah. I think, or at least charged enough to get to the next 300, 400 miles, whatever that is. So I think we're getting close. And I just felt like, you know, I give myself another five years. I think I'm pretty safe in that. Uh, that legacy felt a lot like the Tesla when I was in it. I mean, the driving feel, with the exception of the incredible acceleration. Okay, no cars doing that, right? I mean, you're, you're paying big money for that uh, on the gas side. But yeah, I just, Christian, I just kind of felt like this buys me five or six years. The resale on those have been pretty good. Who knows? Well, shoot, the way used cars resale right now, I might be able to yeah. sell that car that I just bought <laughs> for a profit, sure. you know? Yeah. So 
it, yeah. That's, yeah, go ahead. No, the, 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 you bring up an interesting point about the infrastructure. The infrastructure, I think, certainly has matured in a lot of areas. Um, in fact, one of the related products of Tesla that I was looking at recently that does totally captivate my attention is the Tesla Powerwall, right? Because um, generators have surprisingly gone way down in cost, like to install a full-fledged generac, et cetera. And if you have act- access to natural gas to power that thing, um, I don't think there's been a more affordable time to put in a generator in quite some time. Um, the more pricier option is to go get a Tesla Powerwall where you literally have this wall unit that's connected to either um, a solar panel or solar roof tiles where the entire roof is solar tiles. Now, if you want to get the solar roof, you pay $80,000. If you want to get the uh, power wall with a normal solar panel, you pay around 30000 So, like, obviously, um, pretty inaccessible for the, the average, I want to back up my home um, on some dedicated power alternatives. Um, however... I could certainly see 15 years from now the infrastructure being such that it is in a competitive space with what it would take to install a generator. And if that happens where the two are competing head to head, you could see a huge shift in in the types of infrastructure available, not just for those use cases, but for the electric car industry, right? So it's like... um, there's going to be that kind of battle for a while where Tesla was the one big company that suddenly made electric cars sexy, right? Before that, the Volt and some of these other hybrids, to me, really didn't define the market at all. And then, of course, you know, Elon comes out of his usual left field, puts together something that people think is, you know, a sinkhole of cash. Um, and it's doing pretty well, right? And I think there's still probably some investor, is it a boom or bust stock in the whole nine yards? But you can't argue with the fact that in 2021, Elon controls the narrative of what it means to be an electric car on the market, period. Um, and he's driving an infrastructure conversation in our country that I have never seen before, which is, um, were Tesla going to be moving our investments out of Bitcoin because Bitcoin doesn't mine sustainably. I mean, can you honest to God imagine hearing a statement like that five years ago? Like totally Looney Tunes, right? But now we're talking about things like mining operations as infrastructure. We're looking at the sustainability of those things as part of our infrastructure. Um, So I think, you know, he, in my mind, agree, disagree, like or dislike the products. He's one of the leading um, thought producers in that space to me. Um, And as such, um, it was really after the initial splash that got Tesla to critical mass where, I mean, honestly, I drive around in Maryland, I see a Tesla everywhere. I mean, it's getting that interesting for folks that are in that space. And I, I, now we see the main line, you know, the Fords, the Chevys, the, you know, all the other companies are kind of now being like, oh, we're an electric car company. Look at our lineup, right? So like folks are finally ready to play the game. Um, some aren't, right? Like Dodge is like, this is a joke. And so they um, launched a, uh, I don't remember the name of the um, the van, but they just launched a new van that has a Hellcat 
800 horsepower engine in it. I kid you not. Um, and they're, you know, we're going to stay conventional gas and have ridiculous right. engines for life. And that's or, what our diesel. customer base is. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Gas, diesel, otherwise. Yeah. Um, so I think you're going to see that oscillate for at least the next decade, but we could be having in 15, 20 years, a very odd conversation about um, just how different power usage is and, and how we access that infrastructure. Yeah. I think that price range, by the way, is about 10,000, 10 to 15 for the average user. That's if you put a big generator in, that's about by the yeah. time you get wiring and you put that in. And then I, I think on the solar side, I think we're seeing um, the incentives need to kick in for about a third of that. And I think that kind of brings it down to an afford for most people. I mean, I'd, I'd go if that was the price. 30 is a little, still a little out for me. I can't, I'm not going to do 80 for sure. Yeah. That's, that's well, I mean, that is just a student loan, to be honest. But <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah absolutely is. right. But, but uh, 30 is, is a little, still a little too far. I think if we could get it at, 15 with five in incentives that I'd pull the trigger. Oh, yeah. I have a south facing house that was perfect for solar panels. I, li- I mean, it the, the roof is pitched right. Nobody was thinking about this in 1959 when they built it. So it's a total accident, but the pitch is right. The facing it is dead south. I have no trees. I mean, it's it's crazy how hot that roof gets. And I'd love, you know, I'd love to kind of do all three. So put solar on with a battery and still have a mini generator as just that overall kind of power. But I, I lose my mind, Christian, when we lose power, I lose my mind (laughs) and it's not a computer thing. It's a, it's a refrigerator food cooling thing like in the house. Cause it always happens in the summer. We lose power in Nebraska from tornadoes. That's why we lose power. Rarely is it a winter snow thing that's happened before, but so I think, do you think, does that does that pricing in U.S. dollars sound right to you? I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think even if you get it close, even if it's slightly more than conventional, I think you yeah. would see a mass yeah. movement in that direction. Yeah, I'd love to have the Powerwall. I'd also love to. I'd love to get. I mean, I drove the Tesla and I like it. I I like the way it drives. It handles differently. Yeah, uh, and and okay, and I and I guess I should say I'm treating Tesla like Kleenex, just to be honest, and that. It's it's now the brand name for EVs, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I've I put the down payment, I put the hundred down on the Cybertruck back in the spring, Excellent. and I'm not going to buy it. Like it's really not at this point. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe so I'm Cybertruck. If, if used cars prices keep going where they're going, I might be able to sell the legacy and buy the Cybertruck new. We'll just have to see how that goes. That's not that's not true, by the way. But it it would be funny if it was. Um. Uh, so, you know, um, I, I'd love to get there. I'm not ready yet. And, and I don't, you know, and I'd love to go solar when I can. Jim Shoemaker was saying, you know, it's, I still think we're a ways away, you know, from full wind and solar taking everything, I, I think. And listen, we still got some fossil fuels to burn through. So it's not like those are depleting next year. So we've got some, we got a ways to go. But man, I, it, I think you're right. The next 10 years of energy is going to be really, really interesting. And then, of course, you know, Elon, back again, I've been watching a Starlink launch just about every other day on YouTube, right? It seems like they they have really turned that into, Christian, a, 
it's a commodity. Like, I mean, they just launch and the rot and the, the things come back and they land. Yep. <laughs> and then they just a couple days later, they send another one up and it lands. I mean, you got to be impressed, right, with their ability. It, it, I heard the other day they all the camera footage now has switched over to Starlink. So the cameras that they're using are using Starlink now. And it's night and day difference, the views that we are getting now off these rockets. Mm-hmm. You, you follow, I mean, do you get, do you oh, yeah. get geeked out or have you been following Starship and the and those yeah. things? Yeah, it, no, it's it's an incredible innovation for the, for the space industry. But also I think, um, you know, people might laugh when I use the term space mining. But if you want to talk about another source of energy that starts to become more feasible, the more the low Earth orbit matures and the more these types of rocket-based technologies mature, um, space mining suddenly becomes this kind of very real and exciting thing. And um, local colonization of, of um, uh, moon, Mars, etc., uh, still a little bit of a stretch, not something that I think is going to make a huge shift in and of itself, but the technology investment required to get there certainly will, I think, have a lot of impact. Um, and I, I think it's just a story about how the commercial sector has really stepped up to fill the void that was left when the shuttle program ended. Um, and, you know, commercial entities are sometimes willing to take a bit more of a risk or a bit more of a kind of productization or, or innovative spin on it than maybe what it would be if it was purely a government, you know, run thing. And I think that's being reflected, right? I don't think you would see something like Starlink today if shuttle launches and rockets were still just something that NASA did exclusively. Um, and um, to that end, equally, I don't think the commercial companies would have the opportunity to even be in this space today had NASA not done such a rock solid job of laying that foundation, right? Like we didn't just um, divine the mechanics of, of space and how to operate um, all of the math and technology required to do these things correctly um, in five years time. And then we start, you know, doing commercial space missions like, no, they had 40 to 50 years of really calibrated um, expertise, uh, probably a little bit more than 50 years. Um, And, you know, some of the predominant experts in this field who were those government employees are, you know, consultants and technical advisors to the folks in the commercial space now. So, um, fairly exciting as far as I'm concerned. As a network, how do you feel about Starlink and its ability maybe to provide, to bridge the digital divide in yeah. rural communities? How, how do you feel about that? Uh, good and bad, actually. So I think from a, just purely as a technologist, from an infrastructure perspective, I think it has the promise to do something that we've finger pointed is going to be 5G or is going to be Fios or is going to be these other solutions where it really is just, I think they're going to broad brush solve the problem in a way that you just don't solve by stringing fiber all around the country in these remote areas. So um, impressive from that perspective. And I think it's a solution that's going to work because it is so easy. And when something is effortless, uh, adoption follows. Um, the concern area is I, I wonder how that hyper-connected world continues to shift um, how folks operate day to day, right? I mean, I, we've seen a lot of interesting uh, socioeconomic behavior that's resulted from kind of living in a very 
tech plugin enabled world. And um, I don't know what it means to have more people caught up in that uh, rather than less. Um, certainly, I think a lot of people got burned out from hyper news cycles and constant data feeds. And I certainly get burned out as much as I am a technologist. I get burned out from getting, you know, notices on my phone every two seconds and the whole nine yards. So I think it's cool and it's the right thing to be doing that we're continuing to build that infrastructure and enable new innovation and creativity for customers, right? Like the customer is always right in this perspective. Um, but I, I can't say I feel 100% warm and fuzzy that we have ironed out some of the um, human health impacts that this stuff just takes on you one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. We're hearing through all the Gallup research that we do, everybody's burned out. Like, and it's, it, this is, it's a well being issue. And, and I've, yeah, absolutely. I've, kind of, I've almost kind of thought, I mean, the last year, while uh, for some it's been COVID, but the effects of it itself have really caused, I think, some, some form. I'm no doctor and I'm not diagnosing things, but <laughs> Dr. Jim, some, some of those PTSD that we, we would, uh, we would associate with that, mm -hmm. that everybody has just a little bit underneath the surface of like, I'm ready to lose it. Like, Yep. One more thing and I, one more tweet, one more, right. I'm losing it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, it, 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 it's interesting. There's just a, there's just this underlying as now we begin to make the shift, at least here in the United States, we still, there are still countries around the world in lockdown. India is still struggling with this. So I don't, don't want to be uh, insensitive to that for listeners in those regions or absolutely if you're still under lockdown the United States is beginning to open up Christian what is as we think about what that means in terms of hybrid because we keep throwing around this term hybrid and as you think about what you do and what's changed for you in that and, and where do you think how do you think you go back? Or how you do you think you go hybrid differently than you would have thought in, say, September of 2019, right? But l long before any of this stuff kicks off. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I it's, it's fascinating. And I think it's going to take years to come to terms with what COVID did. But what COVID did was accelerate a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt about the viability of um you know, mass telework being something that can actually be successful and not crash your business. Um, and what we found out was that we really accelerated that internet did not crash. <laughs> Life went on uh, from a business perspective and the ability to operate. And there were some things that were tough, right? And I'm not trying to short sell that in any way, right? Um, one of the things that I think um, is tough, regardless of whether you have a job that has to be on site or one that is, you can do from a computer, which implies remote, you know, et cetera, is that that human element where you're kind of inventing and thinking and kind of bashing ideas. And, you know, the famous phrase for me that captures this is, well, let's go to the whiteboard, right? Um, it is that um, interaction with folks that I think is very hard to ever fully encapsulate in a telecommuting um, workforce. Mm -hmm. That said, um, there have been a ton of pros with the at-home focused work life. And one of those things has been, you know, I, as someone who works, you know, 
fairly rigorous hours and very invested in what I do, et cetera, I have found incredible work-life balance by being able to be passionate about my job and my industry while also being able to do it from home. Like if I need to take 15 minutes to go deal with house chore X or take a phone call from someone, right? It's just a very different way of being kind of integrated day to day such that you're seeing the people that you love more often. You're not spending time doing commutes for many people. Um, you know, you're able to kind of, and this is one of the things I think is really important and where, where I'm going to with the whole hybrid question that you originally asked is if you can set up that at home workplace for you where you can really walk in and out of it interchangeably and get your mind to switch in and out of those modes. It's an incredibly powerful tool in and of itself. And I think enables people to take control of their life in a way that you just don't get to when you're doing that nine to five grind with the commute and the whole nine yards. And it for some becomes more about the, did I do my hours and fill the gas in my car than it is like, I'm coming to work because I'm excited about what I do. It's a passion of mine. I'm effective in the workforce. I'm making the dent in the world that I want to make, whatever that is. Um, so for me, hybrid is really about how do you capture some of the really good things that came out of that work from home environment with um, some of the things like, hey, let's go to the whiteboard, right? And so I think what we're seeing as a predominant trend in the tech industry uh, in particular, and again, not going to be applicable for every job family or industry that's out there, right? Um, you know, certainly if you work in agriculture, for example, you're not going to telework. Um, that's not really a thing. But for um, many industries that found themselves in this scenario, um, you you want to capture the best of both worlds and put it in this hybrid mode. And so, you know, for me, for example, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, I want to be on site, you know, three days a week or so, and I want to be home two days a week or so. And that gives me the flexibility to keep my life balanced, be hyper obsessed and focused on my customers and what we're trying to do. And, um, really give me the tools to succeed in a way that I don't get entirely in one mode or entirely in the other mode. Um, and so for me, I focused on things at the house that I never would have thought of had I not been working from home five days a week for a period of time. Right. Like, and, and maybe some of this is becoming a homeowner and otherwise too, like, yeah, I get it. But, uh, you know, we were talking earlier before this show, how obsessed I've become with home lighting. It is one of the most simplest things. And one of the most important things that I realized, like if you're squinting, um, like this used to drive me nuts at college. You'd go to a, you'd go to a class where they all know that the college students have had a three to four hours of sleep the night before, and they dim the lights to twenty five percent so that you can quote see the projector. Well, you've lost seventy percent of your audience within ten minutes because naturally your brain is going to say it's time to sleep because you're under you know underslept, you're tired, and at the same time you're supposed to be absorbing information. So lighting is really important in that scenario. It's equally important like if you need to read something, if you need to work, if you want to reduce screen glare. So I just got obsessed about what was the lighting in the office, uh, my home office, what would make good lighting for productivity, help me keep awake, not give me eye strain, um, you know, uh, reduce headaches, but also like make it easy so I can see what I'm doing, whether that's like something physical and tangible or whether it's a writing activity um, or whether it's someone being able to see me clearly on a screen because I want to give my 
um, remote colleagues as much of a similar experience in person as possible. I want, I want my video to be on. I want them to be able to interact with me. I want it to be as best of an experience. So it is the little things that I've started hyper-focusing on to really capitalize on the value of that hybrid environment, getting the lighting right, getting your, um, your home office in a little bit of an isolated space where your brain can switch context modes and you can have that family time, you can have that work time. And yeah, it's a walk for, you know, six to 12 feet as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, one hour commute maybe for some, but it, it's that mental mode switch. Um, I've looked a lot at reevaluating, do I have the right technology to be effective um, irrespective of what technology my employer gives, right? So, you know, you guys, I've all heard the famous flamethrower desktop PC that I have been running for almost 10 years now. Um, COVID was the time for me, like many others, where I built a new rig from the ground up. I got a 5950X in. I can have 100 tabs open and the thing's going to be just fine. Um, and that's an important investment to make if you think this is what you're going to be doing. Um, screen real estate incredibly valuable. I can't remember if it was a Gallup study we talked about or otherwise, but like there's there's plenty of data that shows the difference in pixels and the, both the information you can process and the amount you can output. Like you got to have the right gear to do the right job. And I think employers are going to be in a position where now that they know this works, they're going to be providing more incentives employees to have those tools to be successful in hybrid. But I do very much think hybrid is here to stay for a significant portion of industries and workforces. And I also think with that, like I, as the employee, am focused on how do I make my home experience really good? Meanwhile, uh, working for a good employer means that they're focused on how to make that experience right for you hybrid when you're on site. So um, switching from everyone has an assigned desk and we're wasting all of this space with people who are going to be there one or two days a week to, you know, Everyone comes in where there's a hot desk available, but it's not just a piece of wood and you bring your laptop. No, every hot desk has the same amenities you would want if it was your desk. Um, there's going to be the same types of community gathering spaces to go to the whiteboard or host host that business customer that's really important to you or have that VTC with someone in Japan, right? Like it, those things are going to, the things that offices do really well, we're going to scale such that it's not that wasteful thing where everyone's shoved into the cube farm, but there's these same sets of standard resources that make people effective when they're on site. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I think we're seeing like initially f companies took a lot of positions of we're going all remote or we're going all mm -hmm. uh, back in. And I think even those you've seen some flip flops and some changes, right? Where people are moving towards the hybrid more and more. So I do think I, I feel very comfortable in saying that that's a long-term trend for at, at a minimum, bare minimum, the tech industry. Yeah, um, man. Well, I, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I just employers are going to gain or lose people retention wise in the tech industry based on whether or not they offer the style of hybrid work environment that makes employees feel like they have the flexibility to live a, a high quality life and deliver for their customers. The Gallup numbers say a third of us changed jobs during COVID. Those numbers just released this week. Wow. Um, yeah. A third. And I, and we're expecting maybe a full third more over the next two years. Uh, as all these changes take place, you know, um, the screen real estate is no joke. And uh, I remember early March last year, bringing, trying to use 
you know, working from home every once in a while, like before this and working from home all the time, two totally different things. Oh yeah. Right. And I needed a new chair. I needed more monitor space. I needed better monitors. I needed the monitors placed in the right location. So I was like, I strain became a real thing for me because I became hyperproductive. Like I went in Christian, I, I cranked out work. Like I've never cranked it out before. Like yeah. we, we went part of it's cause I love what I do. Right. I create podcasts of information. It was pretty great. Right. But I was noticing in the first couple of weeks, lots of eye strain. I was rubbing my eyes and headaches and right getting the lighting right down here, getting the ergonomics, which by the way, I failed on the typing or ergonomics. Mm. I've been having some wrist issues. No surprise that popped up about six months into this thing. I got to fix that. I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong and get that fixed. But getting the eye strain, going four monitors at home, like, oh, that, and I, and, and I'll, I'll say my, my productivity increase was all due to more screen real estate. I was, I was, because at work, you know, they always limit our monitors. Well, you can only have two. I take six at work if they let me. Like, Isn't that amazing? Let's let's financially limit the one tool that makes you a growth enabler for your company's bottom line. It's always been incredible. To I, you're like, what are you do doing? That. I could yeah. use, I'd use four if you like. In fact, I have four here, right? I mean, this is, um, I ended up bringing my widescreen, wide, ultra widescreen home and using that for most of it. And then I liked it so much, I bought another one to have here on my desk. Those kinds of things. Um, really changed the equation. Now, what I catch myself doing at work is like, okay, how do I find those offices or how do I, how do I get more screens in my office at work? I've actually, this was the very first week I've wanted to be at work all the time. Like I've wanted to, I wanted to be in the office, let's say all the time. And I'm, I'm, I don't know what it is. All of a sudden a flip switched, a switch flipped. There we go for me. And I was like, you know, I'm going in today and I'm kind of excited about it. So the commute gives me a chance to listen to podcasts again, right? That had gone by the wayside. I'm getting, I'm actually getting a little bit better balance at work where I'm getting up and moving around a little more often because I have to walk half a mile to get to the cafeteria at this point, right? It's not just 17 steps away. I did take your advice, divided off the office down here. It had just been open, right? Yep. Oh, that changed everything for me. Right. And so I I do feel like while it's virtual or while it's, there's no hard walls down here, I did create a space that I would go into, pull the curtain and I was in, right. I was in, I was locked in. This is my space. Cone of silence. Well, it's funny because Sarah would come and peek around the corner to see if I was on a call or not, you know, and and that was, that was nice, right. It was an opportunity to, to uh, at least interact in that way. Um, so it, it will be interesting, Christian, let me ask you, what are your thoughts? What about folks who have been working from work this whole time? I mean, we have had healthcare workers, agriculture, food service. What do you think changes for them? Like, does this change? I mean, they're all uh, Tony in our chat room. Like he put in an extra 600 hours. He's in healthcare, 600 hours this year. Yeah. Like, What are we going to, what do we need to do for them? You think? It's a great question. I, I think the burnout risk in those scenarios is real, right? Like you talked about, I'm hyperproductive, right? Well, one of the reasons is because it's really easy to go from meetings 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. where you're not, you're just going hit end on one button and hit answer on the next, right? Yeah, and so like yeah. we in, implemented mandatory like five minute, like you have to start five minutes after yeah. the hours so that someone can take a bio break, right? Right, right. Um, 
for the healthcare industry, I mean, I think it is the leading example of completely different world set of expectations. Like they were in overtime because they were saving lives. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone really has a good obvious answer for what we do in those industries, but, um, I, I hope that, you know, like it's, I think of it like with any work project, right. Where it's like you, there's times where you surge because there's a lot going on and you're trying to deliver. And there's times where you kind of take a step back and think big and do some more strategic planning and things are a little bit quieter. And so I, if I had to uh, try and create that analogy, and again, I'm not in the healthcare profession, so I, I can only imagine um, what it really must feel like after um, being a healthcare responder during COVID. Um, I, I see it as hopefully the healthcare industry figures out how to basically um allow these healthcare workers to have part-time or rotational aspects to their life without being compensated less for the experience and, and capability that they bring to the health organization. And ultimately, you know, you think of these ER doctors who work crazy hours sometimes or crazy shifts, and you think of, you know, nurses and other staff who are just kind of always there fighting the fire. Um, some people live to be ambulance chasers. There's no doubt. Um, and I mean that sincerely from a perspective of they get a lot of reward and satisfaction out of solving, um, you know, imminent, an imminent crisis, whether that be someone's health and well-being, whether that be, you know, a technical challenge, what have you. Um, and so I really think, like, we need to find real ways to introduce that, that work-life harmony for folks who are in those very demanding jobs. Um, for something like agriculture, a little bit different, right? Like they probably weren't working overtime in the sense that there weren't these mass rolling food shortages or, or, or supply chain problems. I mean, there were certainly supply chain problems at the beginning, don't get me wrong, right? But it wasn't this kind of rolling continuing issue. Whereas with the healthcare industry, it wasn't like, you know, yeah, the COVID cases ebbed and flowed, but hospital beds were at, you know, max capacity, like through and through. So um, yeah. I hope that folks can recognize who are not in those industries ways to invest in those economies such that there can be big changes in the way those folks work when there isn't the equivalent of a global health crisis on their hands. Yeah. So yeah. that when the next thing comes around, yeah. you know, folks are charged up and ready because they have had the right tools and the right calibration to to live a high quality life to then be you know on that front line for someone else yeah i the the work the working at home the work from home crowd has certainly out talked <laughs> the the working from work crowd that had to stay right and, and so i've been trying to over the last couple months in the conversations include that because it hasn't i think in a lot of the conversations about work it has all been well, you know, work working from home, and and certainly, gigantic chunks of people went home to work, but many stayed. And so it, it, this big, this big global experiment we did, I hope we're able to pull some things out of it and uh, and and be better because of it. <laughs> you know, make some real changes for for that that help people. Um, you know, and so I I think we got it, we got a couple interesting years ahead for us. So. 
um, good stuff. Christian, in our final, with a few final thoughts, can you update us on uh, on what you're doing uh, and and how that's working? And you know, just tell us what you can from that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I've I've been I guess with Amazon Web Services now for a little over four years. So uh, continuing down that software engineering Didn't route. You just start college like last last <sighs> year. Dude, it, it goes so <laughs> fast. I, I don't even. I, have to, I don't know what to tell it you. Seems really like you, just, you just started your freshman year at University of Maryland. That seems like yesterday. Yeah. And yet yeah. it feels like there are times it feels like it's a million miles away too. You know, I think of that first, yeah. the first winter on campus when they closed. Boots on the ground. Yeah. yeah. You and I were walking the whole campus. That feels like a hundred years ago. It really so, does. Yeah. No, it does. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and in some respects too, um, four years at Amazon has felt like the equivalent of 10 years in some other places. I mean, it is a very um, fast paced, high energy place. Um, I continue to, I, I love coming into work every day, uh, you know, coming in as being whatever and whatever way that one comes yeah, into work yeah. these days, doing, but doing work, right. You're yeah. Doing work. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just get super charged up by the people I'm working with. Right. Like there's always someone smarter than you in the room and that you're learning from and engaging with. And, um, I never feel like folks are there to, to, to punch a clock, um, and, and do it because it's a job. I feel like people are truly trying to be inventive and innovative on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And just that gets me really uh, excited about what we're doing. Um, I've in the last really, actually I transitioned just before the whole COVID thing. And um, obviously now coming out of that, I'm getting back into that world, but um, you know, we've been building the HQ two for Amazon, right? So the second headquarters campus and, and crystal city and um we just have opened a few weeks ago, uh, one of the first buildings that was built, you know, through and through Amazon thoroughbred. If you walk in it, it feels very much like a Amazon building in the Seattle, Washington campus. And, uh, it's exciting to see kind of Amazon invest in that same, um, community that, that what they have done with Seattle, um, over the last, you know, 25 years. And so, um, I work in an organization that owns the, technical expertise of what it takes to build a region from start to finish. So like if you want a new cloud region, so like if you're an AWS user, you've probably heard of like the US East One region, which was like the first geographic region on the East Coast. It's the, you know, kind of largest region in terms of all the services that are offered today, right? But Amazon has, you know, over two dozen regions now all throughout the globe. And mm -hmm those regions each have hundreds of cloud services in them, right? So from the time that you dig dirt into the ground to the time that you have this huge cloud experience, um, our organization is, is has the subject matter expertise where we're working across all the different AWS service teams to build those new regions and opportunities uh, for customers and businesses globally. And so um, incredibly cool space to be learning in to kind of see how all of that comes together and what it takes to do it. Um, it is certainly a very unique uh, technology space to be in, but uh, a thrilling one. And so um, I, I focus on um, software development and design leadership uh, within my service team and organization um, to, to enable those regions to be built and to happen, which is uh, a fairly cool place to be in. And I love my job. Yeah, that's great. Are you down in Crystal City now? Are you? Have you changed locations? 
Yeah. So I, 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 again, we're kind of in this hybrid mode, so it's unclear like where I sit on a given day. I mean, (laughs) obviously Amazon has a fair number of corporate offices, even in this area, but that's kind of where home home base is going to be, you know, long-term is, is crystal city campus. So. Yeah. Super cool. I don't know. Like I, you know, I used to be in that area a couple times a year to, to stop in. I don't, that, that's the big change for me is I'm, you know, I won't be recruiting uh, for the most part um, in the new, you know, kind of in the new world. And so no, I have no good reasons to be on the DC area. So I have to invent some so I can, uh, can I make my way out? I, I mean, I really love flying into, to Reagan, getting on the, getting yeah. on the Metro and making so- my way in. Yeah, and, and it's it's cool. A lot of the offices that I work out of overlooks the Reagan runway, so you just watch the planes yeah, come no, in. Yeah, no, super close. Oh it's, oh, it's great. Super the water's close. right there, and yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, really I was nice. um, I was at a work share location, oh, a couple of years ago now, in that location where you guys are building right now. And yeah, right, I mean, it's just one, it's basically one uh, stop off the, the metro, I think. It's pretty quick in there, isn't it, from from Reagan yeah. to where you're yeah, at, yeah. just one stop. Yep. And so Crystal I was, yeah. yeah, I walked, uh, uh, in fact, I walked from that location to the airport. It was yep. that close. And I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, this is great. This is, this is amazing. So yeah, we'll have to, I'll have to figure out some, I'll have to figure out some ways to get out there and, and, uh, and see my DC, uh, see my DC friends. I will be heading up to Boston in September to see Ed. We're hanging out. There's a, a cigar authority, uh, anniversary party that's going on up there. And so I'll be anxious to get up there, see him and, and get that in. So no side trip to DC this year. That was a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, really my first trip through Connecticut and then, uh, through New York city. I'd never been in New York city before. And then you got to drive the New Jersey turnpike at least one time. At least once. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, uh, uh, super great from that Christian, anything we missed? That uh, that's on our list there that we should. Yeah, I don't know. Um, we should have covered anything else before anything quick before. Uh, well, did, no, we, did we cover it? Do you think we caught up with you? We we I'm sure we did. Um, I, I've had these side anecdotes on the house front around uh, garage door openers, but I yeah. just feel like that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> have you uh, have you chosen? Have you chosen one? Are you going? I mean, so I, I think it's down to the LiftMaster stuff is just really like if you want high quality that will last a long time, you buy a LiftMaster. Um, they're also the same company that owns and makes the Chamberlains, which is kind of the same in kind device. So it's like very hard because there's this little bit of price delta for things that probably largely have the same internal components. Um, but I find it interesting how much a garage door opener is no longer about opening your garage door. Like the, <laughs> um, the latest ones are all about like securely having your Amazon packages delivered by them being able to open your garage door and drop it in. And, you know, the 1080p cameras looking at them. And uh, I, I don't know, I just find it kind of cool and ridiculous all at the same time, but it's kind of one of those new home gadgets that I feel like people don't talk about very often, but yeah. has changed a lot in the last few years with what it's doing like with a them. home security hub. Yeah. Like, exactly. I mean, think about it, think about where it sits. It's yeah. right in the middle of the garage. It's in the middle of everything, lighting, cameras, door interaction with you, it's ability, you know, the, if this, then that things that you do with it, right? Hey, once I get this geo location from my house, open the garage door. It's 10 o'clock at night and I haven't closed it yet. I should probably shut it, right? 
I mean, these, these security features that used to just be a button, <laughs> you know, it was on a, on a genie, a genie garage door opener. Right. And, and now we're adding all this complexity to, to the garage door opener. Um, even from the way, I mean, they, they used to be loud chain driven monsters, right? And now they've got all kinds of. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the things I looked at with the lift masters. You get these noise ratings from, you know, yeah. up to 10 and it's, you know, all the hype to get the super silent one. And then people go and buy the silent opener only to realize that it's really their garage door that's making all the noise and that their track and all the other stuff needs to be dealt with. So I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those amusing uh, things to me right now. Yeah. It's, it's the last thing I haven't really touched to be honest. I've got one up there. Do I retro it? Do I put a new one on there? Do I care? Right. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I install these things and then within six months to a year, something goes wrong and then I got to refigure them all out again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did I get this? Did I, did I get this one through an app? Did I, okay. Is this on Hubitat? Is this in home? Is this in a home assistant one? Where did I set up the uh, automation for this one? Is it, uh, is it on if this and that? Did I set the automation through my my Amazon app? Is it on the Google Home? Like, it's <laughs> then it takes probably longer to figure out where to fix it than it actually does to fix it after a yeah. while, you know. And yeah. you're like, oh, okay, I just fix it. We're done, you know, type deal. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's it's a good it's a, it's a good journey though. It's a good journey to go down, and uh, it's I I don't know if I'm going to do anything until I probably replace the garage door opener right that'll be the when the thing breaks then i think it's the opportunity i I, I don't know if i'd retro anything to it now so super cool christian thanks for uh mike was out tonight he's he had an event um and could not make it and uh and i called you and said hey it's time to catch up dude like why have we not done this sooner and uh you were like groovy and uh and and here we are thanks for uh thanks for coming back and catching us up on everything i'm glad you're well everything family wise everything what was okay through through covid okay yeah good good yeah glad you're glad you're well and always good to uh, catch up with you we'll remind everyone of course you know uh the average guy.tv powered by maple grove partners get secure reliable high-speed hosting from those folks that you know and trust if we haven't convinced you yet just head out to maple grove partners dot com and, uh, and get it done today christian have you have you finally jumped in on crypto are you doing anything around crypto? come on i'm like, dancing around crypto it's still <laughs> that one thing that you're gonna have to like drag me in with like yeah. feet kicking and screaming but no you're pretty I, smart i'm i'm watching closely i think fintech is a whole another two-hour conversation in and of itself but i ha- the jury is not out on me for crypto one way or another yet so yeah well it's certainly interesting it's still interesting oh, it's I, I, yeah. I just for what goes on and the personalities around it and, and those, you know, those kinds of things. It's a, it's not a, it's not an open and shut, you know, I followed, we're following this Chia coin, C-H-I-A, Chia, it's a hard drive mining one. And this is the first one I've been in, in since the beginning. And so following the politics are way more interesting than following the technology. Like it's still just kind of a blockchain, you know, it does the same things blockchains do. That, that part's pretty boring. The The interesting part is the relationship between the farmers and the, and the, and the, the, the devs and all these, you know, it's just, it's crazy to, 
and and oh my god christian the whiners that are in these groups of it's right you know like you said you you lied no he didn't uh, you told me you know oh my it's it is just atrocious if you ever want to just lose your mind follow a crypto group of some kind they are bizarre i i, I will remind you if you want to if you do need a tool to jump in on crypto or at least start to learn it go over to coinbase coinbase or uh, the average guy.tv slash coinbase jump in if you make a hundred dollar deposit i get 10 you get 10 not a bad way to jump in know what you're doing on these things don't i feel i do kind of feel like the Although it kicked back up again, I do feel like this day trading crypto craze has calmed down a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. But yeah. with all the short squeezing you're seeing going on no. in conventional retail stocks, I don't yeah. think it's, we're far from over. <laughs> no, it's thing is it's crazy. Just just know what you're doing when you go out there Just and, and learn from it. Uh, Coinbase has lots of ways for you to learn. So check it out. Theaverageguide.tv slash uh, Coinbase, if you want to contact me, send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv and join our Discord group, theaverageguy.christian's out there on a Discord group. You can you can talk to him out there if you want. Theaverageguy.tv slash Discord. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern out here at theaverageguy.tv slash live. And we appreciate, Christian, appreciate you and all the work that you do to support uh, Home Gadget Geeks and theaverageguy.tv. You're the reason... We're even here because I think at some point in time you said, I want to do a podcast with you. And I think that's what we did. And so uh, we, we, we get here 11 years later and uh, still doing the same thing. Great to catch up with you. Come back and uh, oh, by the way, live listeners, we are off next week. Uh, Mike and I are both off. So no live show next week, but we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, uh, John from Unraid will be on and we're going to spend a bunch of time on their new I think 6.9 is the newest ungrade, uh, ungrade, unraid. There we go, unraid version, and uh, and John will be on to talk about that um, as well. Thanks for coming out tonight. With that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Good stuff. Good night. <laughs>